Welcome to Glass Talk, Canada's podcast for the architectural glass industry. Now here's your host, Patrick Flannery. Hi, everyone. This is Pat Flannery. I'm joined today by Michael Gabbert from the Canadian Institute of Quantity Surveyors. The CIQS licenses and certifies uh, quantity surveyors who do cost estimates for construction projects. Uh, they know a lot about uh, procurement and uh, material availability. And so Michael seemed like the perfect person to have on the podcast to talk about these supply chain shortages that uh, on, on everybody's uh, lips and minds these days. Um, we all know uh, what the immediate impacts have been, but I wanted to have Michael talk about the, uh, the ultimate sources of those issues, um, whether they might be able to clear uh, in the foreseeable future, what the effects might be on inflation and prices, um, and uh, just generally whether uh, we need to look at, take another look at uh, where our uh, equipment and supplies that we rely on are coming from, uh, where they're sourced, and uh, maybe diversifying uh, the places around the world where we get those things. So uh, Michael and I had a, had a very interesting conversation. He had a lot of insights, and uh, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Michael Gabbert from CIQS. I'm with Michael Gabbert from CIQS, the Canadian Institute of Quantity Surveyors. Is that right, Mike? That's correct. Yes. Yeah. Um, I've worked in the private sector for a company called BTY Group, but I'm licensed through the Canadian Institute of Quantity Surveyors as a professional quantity surveyor or PQS. Fantastic. Yeah. So, so Michael, I, you know, I, I wanted to get you on here today because as the, as the name of your organization suggests, uh, quantity surveyors. And what's our problem these days? quantities uh, can't get them <laughs> can't can't find them uh, so uh, I, I I figured and, and based on our conversation before I know you're knowledgeable about this and uh, and and I, I I wanted to to just you know dive a little more into these supply chain issues and see if we can get the bigger picture and, and maybe arrive at some explanations for for what's going on and 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 what's happening but before we get into all of that um, tell me a little bit, uh, I guess, about yourself and uh, your background and, uh, and about uh, CIQS. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Um, as I mentioned, I, I'm a member of CIQS. Um, they license our profession and provide a, a professional designation, either a construction estimator certification or professional quantity surveyor. Um, I'm a PQS and I work in the private industry. I specialize in cost estimation and have been doing this for oh, about 14, 15 years now, working across a number of different sectors uh, from commercial and residential and institutional. So I have a wide variety of experience dealing with quite a few different materials that are have been impacted in the last couple of years from the supply chain issues you're referencing. Hmm. Yeah. So some of those materials, um, I you know, we'll, we'll, we'll just run through a few of them. I mean, I, I don't need to tell uh, uh, our listeners here uh, uh, what they're short of. They're, they're, they're quite aware of it. Um, but uh, uh, maybe, you know, I, I don't know if you guys have, have the larger picture on some of this stuff. Uh, one of, one of the things that, that, that is in, in short supply is glass. Uh, a lot of companies are on allocation uh, just for primary glass, coated glass um, um, and uh, uh, aluminum extrusions. Uh, obviously very key in, in making a lot of our products. Um, polyethylene uh, uh, rubber and plastic 
uh, sealants, weather stripping, that kind of thing are, uh, are, are, are also uh, hard to come by, I guess. And, uh, and also uh, even, even some silicone products, uh, uh, sealants, adhesives, things like that. What's the, what's the, so, so what's the picture that, 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 that you guys are seeing, uh, Michael, in terms of, uh, uh, first of all, are these, are these global shortages of these things or are there actually shortages out there? I, I do believe there are. Um, what we've seen and, you know, like we we'll touch on with any number of ways regarding the supply chain or the availability of materials is that most everyone is suffering from some form of supply shortage, uh, long lead times and high demand at the moment. Um, it is definitely being affected by the pandemic. Uh, you know, if we looked at a few of the items you mentioned a little bit closer, mm -hmm. uh, aluminum, for example, aluminum futures were trading at a 13 year high earlier this month. Um, mm. There are a number of factors leading into that from uh, curtailed production of aluminum smelting in China um, to tariffs that were placed on aluminum coming from overseas in the US um, to high demand back all the way to two years ago, starting with shutdowns of plants and production delays due to COVID and then having to reboot and implement uh, a different workplace practice. It's a little bit less efficient with respect to having to implement the health restrictions to stay safe. And you, know, you put that all together and you end up with a bottleneck where you have a, a demand for a product that's been delayed in production. It's an input into a larger group of products and everybody wants a little bit of it and it's hard to get it. Um, you know, it, it kind of trickles down again into some of the other inputs you were talking about, the plastics, the rubbers, a, a number of these plants that would produce uh, petrochemical products that are inputs into these items. Uh, same, same issues, right? They're manufacturing facilities, they shut down they booted back up uh, a little bit less efficient some of them then deferred maintenance to try to keep their orders going eventually they do have to shut down for that maintenance which again right now if you have high demand and and a problem getting production um, shutting down for maintenance just exacerbates that problem and so you just continue to have this cycle where uh, the materials in short supply uh, it's taking longer to get because of reduced productivities at the plants there's a bottleneck on shipping and then by the time it gets to the end user or the, the product supplier in another country it's it's being delayed and it's more costly to get yeah and and, and clearing those bottlenecks is not as easy as as uh, people might think right it's not like if you run a uh, 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 if you're running a, a plant or a factory or manufacturing facility of any kind um, that you've been running with so much excess capacity you can just suddenly, you know, ramp up and 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 fill twice as much uh, orders as it, as you as you had had the day before, uh, right? Uh, it's um and it, give me your opinion on this one. I remember back when I was selling machine tools and we were working in the automotive industry. Um, uh, just in time manufacturing was was all the rage. Keep keep as little inventory on hand as possible, and uh, and just be you know cranking things through to order uh, as fa as fast as you could. Um, has, uh, has that placed uh, company, uh, companies in a position where they don't have excess capacity and can't meet these bottlenecks? Do you, do you think that has anything to do with it? 
I think that's part of it. People wanted to be scaled correctly. They didn't want to have that excess capacity and be carrying overhead, whether it for, be for space or for labor that they weren't using and machinery. So they're scaled in a sense, just right. Mm -hmm. And they're looking to produce what they need to, to meet their demands. And people are ordering based on what the projected demands are and based on a reliable supply chain. And then when there's a kink in that supply chain, all of a sudden you have to kind of take a look at what you're doing and say, is this actually still the right way to do it? Do we need to look at creating additional capacity and manufacturing, but that takes time to bring it online. Um, plus it's a little bit more costly and delayed, same reasons as, as we just discussed. Um, on the other end, if you're ordering the product or you're ordering the, the final good, you didn't want to sit with a bunch of inventory that isn't sold and just basically a carrying cost for you taking up space in a warehouse. And so people were relying on that consistent supply chain. And I think they do have to take a little bit of a different look at that now and how they can mitigate some of the problems they're encountering. I, I know that's exactly what some, uh, some folks in our industry have done is, is when they, when they smelled this coming, uh, they played, they placed massive orders for, <laughs> for the things, for the things that they needed. And, uh, and some were able to get, some were able to get it and, 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 and some weren't. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting to me that, uh, that, uh, uh, this has become, and, and as far as, as far as clearing those bottlenecks, I mean, um, you, uh, like you point out that requires investment, right? So, so if, if you're, if you're going to actually add the capacity, I mean, it's usually, again, in, in most of these processes, it's not a matter of renting space. You, you have to build something. You have to put machinery in place and people in place and everything else. Um, but you're going to be reluctant to do that, aren't you? When you know that the source of the bottleneck, this is not a permanent demand exceeding supply situation necessarily. This is a temporary pandemic that, that we're all going to get vaccinated and eventually it's going to go away. And so you can't be confident that those orders are there down the road, right? I think that's part of the issue right now where people are looking to forecast what they're going to need in the future and balance it with what they're dealing with today. And, and you've hit that perfectly. So do you want to build another factory and two years from now the demand isn't there and the factory is not needed and you've sunk the cost? Um, if you built the factory today and you're a manufacturer of, of an input into a larger product, but you're still delayed in getting your base materials because the mining's delayed, and the shipment of that base material from the source country to your plant is delayed, that is that going to solve the problem? Or is it right now trying to find a, a solution to the shipping, uh, the manufacturing delay, and working through the current bottleneck and then seeing what actual demand is going to be like in the next couple of years? Right. So let's see if we can list. Let's see if we can list some of these pandemic effects, and you've touched on several of them that 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 have really that have really that have really led to this. Because you know, whenever you say, "Well, why is there a shortage?" and somebody will say, "Well, the pandemic," and and I always kind of go, "Well, okay, what does that mean?" Um, um, so so just do you want to just run? Give me give me some bullet points on 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 what the pandemic has actually done to create these uh, material and uh, and well, we'll we'll touch on manufactured items too, but. Material shortages, I guess, to start with. Sure. I, like I was mentioning, I think it starts with the original mining of the base ores that need mm. to be um, extracted from the earth to be able to use in the input process. So that's either, you know, stopped at one point in the last two years or delayed. The shipment of those goods to the next plant is taking more time, just like anything. They have to get space 
on a ship or into a, into a cargo unit to be able to get transported to that manufacturing facility. Once it gets to that manufacturing facility, that plant itself um, is operating often at a reduced productivity level just based on the health measures that are in place, whether or not they have outbreaks that happen, increased sanitization, normal shutdowns for maintenance or seasonal shutdowns, depending on the country they're in. Once it leaves there, getting it to a port, for example, can be delayed once it gets to the port. There's, um, you know, we, we've talked a lot and probably heard a lot about the, the, the issues with shipping containers right now and, and getting uh, product unloaded and loaded at ports. And so that, that issue is at both ends, you know, both at the, you know, receiving end and the supply end. So getting it onto the ship and then getting it over to the next market and then once it gets there, you know, as we've seen in the last few weeks to a month, there's hundreds of container ships sitting around North America waiting to get offloaded themselves. Once they're offloaded, then there's issues with getting it transported. You know, there's a lack of drivers, a lack of available truck space, a lack of train space. And so getting it transported from the port to the next facility is delayed as well. So it looks, when you put that all together, every single step along the way from extraction through to being in the customer's hand is suffering some form of impact at the moment. Yeah, it really is that chain of, of, of cause and effect, isn't it? That starts right at the start, but then, but then at each, at each link along the way, there's been an additional, you know, delay or issue, right? I mean, I mean, that, that was kind of my point about, about, you know, the raw materials are one thing and, you know, that's true. Uh, but then, you know, even when you get like the shortages of machinery, God, I just waited a year for a refrigerator. Um, you know, like, <laughs> you know, like, uh, like, uh, there's, there's, there's shortages on the manufactured goods too, but, but, you know, because, okay, even once you've got those materials, now the person making the machinery for your plant, uh, still has their own delays with, uh, like you say, the, you know, the COVID protocols you got to put in place, Maybe your line isn't running as efficiently now. You can't have as many people in the building at once, or you or you weren't able to. Maybe you can now if they're vaccinated. But you know what I mean. Uh, or or you've or you've you've lost fifty percent of your staff, and you weren't able to hire them all back. Uh, you know that that that's been another uh, another major one. So are, are those like are, are there any other are there any other issues that that, that manufacturing in particular uh, faces? I think those are the largest ones, as you as you mentioned. I think there's. Also, what we touched on a little bit earlier, if you wanted to bring on additional capacity, um, building something during the pandemic isn't going as smoothly or uh, the productivity levels aren't as high as they used to be. Your costs are up. You're still suffering material delays if you want to build more capacity right now. Um, and, and you touched on a really good point with once you get to manufacture goods, we're talking a lot about base inputs, but you get to the manufactured goods and now you're getting a piece of equipment, whether it's a refrigerator or a vehicle that's basically three quarters or 90% complete and it's waiting on uh, a microchip seems to be the topic of the day yeah. right now. Um, so it's, it's assembled and waiting for a microchip or you're missing um, gauge clusters on vehicles or, or recreational vehicles. So the, the body of the unit is there, but key, key input, uh, inputs to actually using it aren't there. Um, and so they're sitting there or they're getting shipped out to dealerships and then they're still missing parts and needing those parts to come before they can get actually sold to the consumer. And so I think they're, they're facing the same 
problems just at a different point or in a different way than the base producers are for the inputs. Yeah, we had our our, our local, uh, uh, well, it's a plant here that does work for a lot of different uh, companies, uh, uh, but uh, GM most recently, uh, yeah, shut, I, I think I think they ran for three weeks over the last year, purely because of that, that uh, semiconductor shortage. Uh, they, you know. Yeah, they're idling production, or in some cases now you're, you're reading pretty regularly, they're just shutting down for certain periods of time. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, no point in keeping people there on staff, on staff and if they have nothing to do because they don't have the inputs to actually assemble the machinery that they need. And it's, it's not a good situation to be in. Help me out! Help me out with this shipping container problem because I, I, of course, I've been hearing I've been hearing all about it. But what you know, the first reaction when you hear there's a shortage of shipping containers is, what these things are? These things are welded steel. I mean, I mean, it's a box. Uh, you know, make make more right. Um, but so, so explain to me why that's not the case. Why, why it isn't as simple as that. Yeah, it's all over the news these days. There's a nonstop issue with getting containers and the price of containers and then the price to even ship the container from port to port is, is more than doubled. Um, there's a few things leading into that. Again, it, it starts with the materials needed to produce more containers and then the individuals, the labor to actually build the containers. Um, if you get past that, then there's you know, everything, everything is pointing to increased demand at the moment, increased consumer demand, not just on the construction side, but obviously on the consumer side, which is requesting more goods to come over into North America. And you add on that, that supply chain bottleneck or, or additional steps where, you know, you have the delays at the ports, getting them loaded and unloaded, um, you know, based on outbreaks at ports, or I believe there were some typhoons that came through a couple of ports in China mm -hmm. recently. So I think you, you start to put those together and then you're impacted, right? Obviously you start to have the shortage where you have, um, what I was reading the other day was up to 20% of all available shipping containers are at, at sea right now, unable to get unloaded. And so they're, they're not able to get unloaded and onto the next step and then get emptied and reused obviously. And so it just continues to compound. And as I mentioned, once you get it unloaded, you could have issues getting a truck and a driver to move it just due to a labor shortage there, or there's not enough capacity by rail to move it. And so I think right from the start, when you want to create it, right to using it and then getting it reused, there just there's an impact at each stage, which just keeps compounding. And then you put in normal factors like weather or seasonal shutdowns, um, different countries shut down for different holiday seasons. They're maybe not timely for, for us in North America, but they happen either way. And I think it just all leads up to this, this shortage where now it costs two or three times as much to get a container and to get it shipped. And, and you know, until, I mean, we all knew that 90% of the stuff we buy is from China. Uh, but, uh, you know, until, until uh, uh, recently, I, I, I don't think we appreciated just how reliant you know we we were on something as simple as as a you know a steel box getting from point a to point b uh, uh across an ocean and down a railway line and onto a truck and you know to wherever it had to go um that that is um what what do you what, what do you what do you think this has revealed about about and uh, you know global trade we all enjoy the lives we live today because of it uh, but uh, what, what do you think this has revealed about, about global supply chain and, 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 and ha has, there, has there been a flaw uh, exposed here? 
definitely, I think it's brought it to the forefront of everybody's mind. It's, it's highlighted our dependence on overseas economies and their ability to produce products for our use. Um, hopefully it causes us on a local, regional and national level to take a hard look at the supply chains that we have and our reliance on others for these basic goods. And, and I don't mean just food and water or just construction supplies, but our ability to obtain clothing, recreational equipment, technology, uh, construction materials, appliances is dependent on other countries' ability to produce those goods. And I think it's a good time to have a good review um, of what's realistic and feasible for us to produce here. Um, not everything will be, not mm. everything is, um, but how could we create that industry and sustain it, make it uh, a long-term viable solution and focus more too on maybe on that end on what we require, not just what we want. If you were going to have a supply chain hiccup, you'd really want to have trouble getting hold of things you want, not things you actually need. Mm. And I think that's important to consider and then try to balance that with I suppose with the with the knowledge that consumers always want ready access to low cost goods. Yeah, 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 exactly. And and, and you know, yeah, I, I think your point is well taken. Uh, you know, the, the 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 prices of things, like I, I don't think anyone would suggest, well, return everything back to you know, I don't know the nineteenth century, and 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 you either make it locally or it, or it ain't available. Uh, you know that 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 the prices of things. If we tried to make everything we we buy, you know, in Canada would be would be insane. I mean, you'd, uh, there would be a, a, essentially a massive recession. Um, the um, the uh, but I think I think what people are talking about is trying to have a little bit of capacity, like you say, in the in the in the critical areas. Like this is this is one near and dear to to our audience. Um, we haven't produced float glass in Canada for over 10 years now. There hasn't been a single plant uh, in the entire country uh, that makes primary glass. Um, now, it hasn't been the end of the world. Uh, uh, people buy it from the States. Uh, but, uh, you know, wouldn't it be nice <laughs> to at least have one place? <laughs> it's, it's probably why I'm waiting six to eight weeks to get a window replaced at, at the house now, here is, is just the supply of the window itself, right? Then I'll have to deal with the labor once it arrives. Another happy customer, folks. <laughs> yeah, I'm just glad they can get it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just be thankful they can even they can even obtain it for you. Yeah, exactly. No, that's those are the kind of lead times uh, that, uh, that that have been afflicting everybody. Uh, it's uh, it, it's way out there. So, yeah, you know, maybe maybe it maybe a I, I don't you know. No, no one can force anyone to do anything, but it would be it, it would be nice to I, I don't know maybe some sort of incentives put in place. For, uh, for certain industries, you know, do you think that would be the right way? Yeah, I think that's where, like I said, you got to look at what, what you need versus what you want mm -hmm. and, and think about what's critical should there be a large supply chain disruption again and how could we mitigate that locally? Is it, is it through an initial subsidizing of an industry to help it get going and take off on its own? Um, is it through grants to help them get started? Um, it's probably not an easy an easy answer to, to the question, and it probably takes a it's going to take a lot of time to figure out that question about what is it that we actually need. What would it be that we're missing if we needed to produce our own goods here for a certain amount of time, um, rather than wait months on end or potentially longer if something worse were to happen. Hmm. 
looking into your crystal ball, Michael, um, what, uh, I, 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 well, one, one thing I'm, one thing I'm, I'm a little worried about. I, I heard a rumor today from a friend in the mortgage business that, uh, they were, uh, they were talking about an interest rate bump. Um, what, uh, what do you see as far as, uh, inflation? Um, do you, is this gonna, it's already accelerated. Uh, the numbers are already, I don't know, it's running about double of what it was, uh, before the pandemic. Um, do you see that getting worse? Uh, do you see that, uh, do you see that smoothing out? Maybe, maybe once some of these bottlenecks clear. I think we're going to have a, a steady period of increase for escalation. And if we were to look at the construction industry, I think one of the reasons you're looking at that is one, you have governments that are committing to spend money right now to try to stimulate the economies and keep people working. Um, you've had construction was deemed essential basically through the pandemic. So it kept going and therefore the demand for the product was still there. And with the, with the supply chain issues that we've highlighted and then labor availability along with labor productivity being down uh, and then increased demand from this stimulus spending, you're going to see a steady rate of escalation for the next few years as those programs work through. I think you know, we always look at uh, escalation every year. We look at it and we look at it kind of on a, a region by region basis because Canada is so large and every province maybe isn't uh, in the same market conditions as the next province. But it's probably safe to say that you're going to be at, in, at least in the four to six percent per year range right now. And that's kind of over the, the whole spectrum. You know, you will hear like this material input is up. Over 100, 200, 300 percent. We saw what was going on with lumber earlier in the year, and other ones have more gradual increases, and, and they come up and down. But you know, material can form anywhere from you know 40 to 50 percent of a production uh, project cost, and with reduced productivities, yeah, it's pretty likely that we're going to see sustained escalation for a number of years. Some places will spike higher than the number I gave, and some will be on the lower end if they don't have an active market or they have access to, to labor in particular, but I think you're gonna see a, a pretty steady average increase for the next few years across the board as the stimulus spending kicks in, the construction projects come online and that demand for goods stays high. And I hate to say it, but it sounds like a stagflation model a little bit because they cannot let interest rates do what the math would indicate they should do to address inflation of that magnitude, because at the levels of debt that governments are at and that households are at, uh, built up over you know low these many years of everything running smoothly, or relatively smoothly, I guess since the financial crisis, um, they, they they it would be it would be economic suicide to to spike interest rates, wouldn't it? Yeah, I would agree. I mean, there's not a lot of not a lot of households that have a lot of wiggle room with for high interest rate spikes at the moment. And it could be catastrophic if, if that were to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, you think about all the young people with mortgages that you and I back in the day wouldn't have ever considered uh, to be <laughs> sustainable. <laughs> right. And, uh, and uh, yeah, you, you, you can't, you can't, you can't hit those people with uh, you can't hit those people with double digit uh, interest rates are uh, you're going to have a lot of people out in the street. So, you know, it, it, it is a, it, it is a similar to it's, it's, it's like a similar, you know, 70 stagflation issue where, where, you know, 
high prices, uh, 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 bad productivity, uh, uh, bad growth, uh, high inflation. And, you know, it's, (laughs) (laughs) no, nobody, nobody, that's, that's, that's doom and gloom. That's doom and gloom. Uh, uh, what, um, any, any advice you would have to, to, uh, companies in, uh, uh, manufacturers of goods in Canada, uh, uh, people in the construction industry in Canada, um, um, any, any way to mitigate and protect yourself against these effects? Yeah, I think if you were looking at, at manufacturers and suppliers, I think they need to take a long look at where they're sourcing their materials from and consider if they have multiple options to help hedge their risk associated with um, maybe one producer or one country having a shutdown or a shortage of that supply, if that's available. Mm -hmm. Um, They can consider or evaluate what they have for alternative logistical options. Maybe they can secure capacity on a long lead item a little bit better um, and have more options than struggling just to get it onto a truck at the port. Maybe they can get it onto rail or if they enter into some long-term contracts, they can guarantee their product's going to get moved in a timely manner. Um, Something we talked about a little bit earlier too is looking at where it's available and feasible. Can they stockpile key inputs to their product and their process based on their forecasted demand. And I'm pretty sure they're probably all doing this, It's, but this is the things I would suggest, obviously looking to avoid future blips for them in the supply chain. Um, on the on the construction side, I mean, would be remiss not to say that you should reach out to um, the CIQS and members of the of the profession to get access to industry professionals with um, the estimating knowledge required to help um, provide independent estimates of cost for you to evaluate the different systems available for different construction solutions so that you can weigh the 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 benefits and the risks associated with maybe switching from an available system or waiting for one that you know is tried and true and and, um, maybe has a little bit of a delay to it though, we can assist with that, Um, can provide advice on supply chains and and escalation as well. Oh, interesting. So that, yeah, so that's, that's, that's something that the, the, the CIQS can do is, uh, is, is put you in touch with, with experts like yourself, uh, that uh, that can uh, uh, give some advice, some consultation, and and what maybe do some do some kind of a report or an analysis. Correct. Yeah, they could do a, an analysis for you on your project. They could do um, looking at uh, risks associated with your schedule or your supply chain. They could do independent cost estimates for you based on their market knowledge and, and the data they have from the suppliers and um, historical cost databases. They could do life cycle cost estimates for you to compare different different options as I was mentioning is if we're looking at moving to a different system because we have available material to do it, what's the trade-off for that? Is it a benefit or a loss? And they can help you assess that. Hmm. Could be some very topical stuff. Michael, where do people go if they would like to uh, reach out to the CIQS? Yeah, definitely. The CIQS has a, a website. Um, I believe it's um, CIQS.org and on there there'll be contact information where they can get in touch with the organization and based on where you're located they could help you find um, registered members who have the correct expertise to assist you. Michael I want to thank you very much for uh, helping me out today. Uh, this is my been, pleasure. Uh, yeah very informative um, you know uh, uh, questions that 
none of us have had to think very much about for a long time. <laughs> and, uh, very true. You know, and uh, and here it is uh, in our in, in our faces. So, uh, Michael Gabbert, uh, CIQS, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Patrick. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Glass Talk. You can find this episode at glasscanadamag.com or on the major podcasting services. Glass Talk is a presentation of Glass Canada Magazine and Annex Business Media.